0: Right, films in. I am your host and timely musical cue, Tyler Hannum. With me, as always, is Michael and Sweet Dance Moves, Kayla St. Hey. And our guest this week is The Cop's Severed Ear, Gabe Aiken. Hey. It's Aiken's. Apologize. Plural. But how's it going, Gabe?
1: Pretty good. Pretty good. Feeling good about being on the
0: podcast? Oh, I'm feeling great. That's good. That's good. Kayla, how are you feeling?
2: I'm feeling great. Our number one fan is our guest today so like I feel like it's a big moment for us but it's probably an even bigger moment for him because he admires us so much that he that's true he must be freaking out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm basically keeping you guys on the air so (laughs) I'm a little bummed you haven't sent in any fan art yet.
2: Where is our fan fiction? Uh, I heard that the progress on that was going pretty well and I haven't received the draft yet. I'm,
1: I'm just working it out. I it's 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 up to ten chapters. I'm trying to parse it down a little bit.
2: Well <sighs> we brought we brought Gabe
0: on to talk about some Quentin Tarantino, good old QT. But before we get there, we're gonna talk about some stuff we watched recently. Uh, Gabe, as the vaunted guest this week, it is your honor to go first.
1: Well, since I can't yell at you for not watching Mr. Robot, I really don't have anything to talk about. So I don't even know why I'm on. Uh
0: that's uh that's good,
1: Gabe. Right,
2: podcast over.
1: Uh, I have three things that I watched, and then one thing that I didn't really watch, but I played, and it is kind of a movie-type deal, but we'll get to that. Uh, First thing I watched is I watched Snowpiercer with our favorite actor, Chris Evans. Hell
0: yeah!
1: Christ! I swear to God! I didn't even plan that. Snowpiercer was this a thing that I watched, and then don't Chris Evans you. became a thing.
2: <laughs> I just want to say for future guests on the podcast, if you do not come to the podcast prepared to talk about Chris Evans, I don't know if we can have you on. Perfectly Tyler's shaking his total. head. <laughs> anyway, Gabe, please, what did you think about Snowpiercer? Uh, I've very much enjoyed it.
1: I noticed that a theme with things that I watched leading into this, they are all dark, morbid, or sad. Like Snowpiercer. Uh spoiler alerts, the human race dies at the end. Allegedly. A-
2: allegedly. The, the girl and the boy maybe survive.
1: They're going to get eaten by that polar bear.
0: <laughs> or if they manage to stay alive in that frozen lace wasteland for a few years to finally pop out some babies, they're gonna to be totally inbred.
1: That's true.
2: How do you think humanity started?
0: I mean, do we? really want to get into
2: that. I mean, no, but I'm just saying. It's Adam Saints. and Eve, not Adam and inbreeding.
1: <laughs> that's probably the A worst. Point. That's the worst thing that I've ever said in my entire life.
0: It was actually inbreeding and in Eve. <laughs> to be, I mean, just I feel like she was more important for the whole keeping up of mankind. The
2: process thing. of inbreeding.
1: Yeah you want to go further down this hole? No, or I, would like to we... keep, I would
2: like to keep talking about Snowpiercer and, more importantly, Chris Evans.
1: <laughs> i just like to think that Snowpiercer is actually Captain America 3.
2: <laughs> well, there's definitely less people in it, so it would maybe work as a better standalone Captain America movie.
1: <laughs> I'm glad that we're five minutes in and we're already completely off the rails.
2: We're not off the rails. This is completely on topic. 100% Tyler has his head in his hands, he's <laughs> taking a long <laughs> sip of coffee and observing his life as if from the outside.
1: I can tell I've already been banned from ever coming on the podcast <laughs> again. No,
2: you're just this is you're just the this is a running theme of the show. But anyway, um I we saw Snowpiercer in theaters when it came out. And I also really enjoyed it. And I also did not know until that point that it was possible to be like aroused by somebody murdering other people with an ax. So that was a really confusing time for me. I thought
0: we were getting away from Chris Evans, but we're right back. We're tonight.
2: talking about Snowpiercer, Tyler. Can you please focus on the topic at hand? Thank you. <laughs> okay. All right. I don't know. I'm why. sorry. Gabe, do you have other things to talk us. about Snowpiercer?
1: I, I do. Uh, i i enjoyed just the visual style of it i everything that i've watched has had really distinct visual styles snowpiercer definitely being one of those
0: bong joon ho is pretty incredible
1: yes have you, have you seen the host of course i've seen the host how do okay. you think how do you think i heard about snowpiercer <laughs>
0: Well, Kayla, it's on Netflix. Uh, We'll find time this Halloween when we're watching 12,000 movies to watch the host.
1: That could be a bonus episode. Halloween creep has already started happening for me. Like, I'm about ready to just go into horror movie mode completely.
2: Oh, we've already done it. It's too late for us. Join us.
1: (laughs) I also really like in Snowpiercer how, like, the lesson from it could be that class systems are inherently bad. But on the other hand, the fact that all, like, the... Backenders rose up is kind of the reason why the train crashed so the lesson could also be that the class system is a necessary evil which is very depressing
2: Mm, see i don't know if i necessarily agree with that because they didn't really rise up the top class kind of orchestrated them rising up so i think the takeaway is still that capitalism is bad and rich people are evil
1: which is true (laughs) duh we already knew that besides all of your sponsors
2: Yes, uh, except for Channing Tatum, Anna Kendrick, and Brad Pitt.
1: And Channing Tatum again.
2: And Channing Tatum again, yes. Channing Tatum is a twofold sponsor.
1: We don't even (laughs) mention Chris Evans
2: because... It's a given.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And he's probably already filed a restraining order.
2: He's not a sponsor. He is an honored guest. And...
0: There's a seat on the bed next to me for him at any time. Because I just feel worn down and like I have no willpower to fight this fight anymore.
2: Can you imagine if Chris Evans was actually oh, here? On the podcast I swear with to God. Hey,
0: <laughs> listen, Snowpiercer is a very interesting movie and I really enjoy talking about it, but I think we should move on to anything else. So, what is the second thing you watched?
1: Uh, I also watched Nightcrawler with Jake Dillon Hall who normally is a very, another very attractive man, but in Nightcrawler looks like a crazy like bug-eyed freak.
0: He undergoes a transformation in that movie. He is incredible.
1: Jake Gyllenhaal acts the hell out of that movie. Jake Gyllenhaal
2: acts the hell out of every movie. He's honestly one of my favorite actors.
1: It just makes me wish that Southpaw looked better because I haven't seen it. But I have a feeling that Jake Hall is wasted in that movie.
2: Haven't you seen it, though? You've watched the trailers. That's true. <laughs> I have not watched the trailer specifically for this reason, because I had to listen to Tyler be sad about the trailer for, like, a week straight. It's a
0: stupid fucking trailer. It <laughs> is. Every single thing that happens in the movie, except for maybe the... I guess, technically, I have not seen the whole movie, so it is very possible that there are just 12,000 twists in that movie and not just 11,999, and that there is one final twist that I do not Mm -hmm. get to see in the trailer. But they didn't need to show us all that in the
2: trailer. It's true. My main beef with it so far is that uh, Rachel McAdams' body in the poster is, like, photoshopped into a way that a female body cannot actually be. The arch in her back is literally, like, her spine would have to be curved. It's like it's, a comic book cover. It's just, yeah, it's just really obnoxious and it bothers me.
1: Yeah, it's like Rachel McAdams is attractive enough on her own. You don't need a Photoshopper to hell.
2: Exactly.
0: That is also a very depressing movie for very different reasons. More about <laughs> the state of movie making and our treatment of our female actors. And, well, Gabe, you've. Sufficiently bummed us out, but continue to bum us out with whatever you've got next.
1: (laughs) The other thing that I watched, which is the last thing that I actually saw in the movie theaters, is the Amy Winehouse documentary, which was very good. Uh, It's interesting in that there's no single narrator. It's all interviews. But with those interviews, they never show footage of the person being interviewed. Everything is just over footage of Amy Winehouse which I thought was very interesting. But again, the movie is pretty sad because we kind of know how that ended.
2: No, I'm like, I've been dying to see that. I love Amy Winehouse and I've heard nothing but good things. And it's also going to be really depressing. So I have to like strategically choose when to watch that (laughs) so that I don't... I only cried twice,
1: which is less times than I thought I would.
0: Honestly, I... From what we've heard, it sounds like you'd cry more during uh, Fantastic Four. (laughs) So, like, two is not actually that impressive.
1: Let's be real. I'm probably going to rent Fantastic Four when it comes out, just to say that I've seen it. And I probably will cry. Mostly because Michael B. Jordan deserves so much better. Oh, Michael B. Jordan.
2: I feel bad also for Kate Mara because it's like, first of all, she already got super overshined by her younger sister, And then she was, like, all set to have, like, this blockbuster franchise. And then it was totally fucked up. Like, I just want Kate Mara to have, like, one thing.
0: This is true. I mean, I am a big backer of the work of Rooney Mara as the superior Rooney... Or, not Rooney sister, the superior (laughs) Mara sister. But Kate Mara is also great and also deserves much better.
1: Rooney Mara is just walking into Kate's house and just eating her lunch right now
2: (laughs) (laughs) yo uh i am rooney mara's like biggest fan so as much as i like kate i'm not gonna be sad that rooney is oh once again oscar buzz and is gonna be in such a great movie so
1: rooney rooney is clearly the superior
2: mara sister (laughs) there's no question about it my current hope right now is that this new like fake Steve larson novel like, which I don't actually, I haven't decided if I actually want to read it yet. Did but you I'm, see the article I sent yes, you? Yes. Know? But I'm hoping that it will drum up enough interest in the series again that Sony will stop dragging their fucking feet. Just pay David Fincher. And make the sequels for the Millennium Trilogy.
0: You know what's a good idea? Paying David Fincher. It works out weirdly well.
2: And maybe don't release the movie at fucking Christmas time oh. against all these other movies that aren't three hours long and miserably depressing. Like That was a, great... a
1: weird choice.
2: I... Okay, I mean, we had this discussion like 500 times four years ago.
0: We are big proponents of this movie that everyone else seems to be pretty down on.
2: Well, like, there was, it's funny, because, like, we were, there was, like, a whole Tumblr community built around, like, being a fan of the Fincher version of the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and, like, it was an exciting time, like, there was so much Oscar buzz for the movie, like, H&M did a clothing line, and, like, it just felt like everything was going right, and then Sony just fucked it all up and it just went so horribly wrong because again the movie wasn't a failure it just didn't like shatter their expectations like they thought it it didn't make as much
0: money as they wanted it to
1: make
2: which if they had released it at almost any other time in the year it would have been fine
1: Christmas is definitely like you should be aiming for family movies or giant franchises. Nah. Yeah, and
2: they even tried to like make a joke because I remember one of the trailers was like the feel bad movie of the Christmas season, and it's like no,
1: Ugh. no,
2: no, bad,
1: that's a terrible. Even
2: they could have they could have released it at like Thanksgiving and it would have been fine. They could have released it like well maybe not in January that's a bad time to release a movie but like in I, March. I wonder, <laughs> I
0: wonder how it would work. Uh, I was like maybe maybe it would work as summer counter programming, but it's probably too winter to quite do. They should have released it October. And like, in October and like <laughs> kind of sold the more um, thriller and horror elements of it.
2: Yeah. Maybe yeah.
0: not so much the rape right part, but like the cold and the winter. Yeah. And the hey, Sony,
2: uh, hire me and Tyler to fix your shit so, so that we, got we can you. have these movies. Thank you. Yeah.
0: I don't know who works there because Amy Pascal is gone, but like.
2: Fucking good. We got you. <laughs> God damn it. But yeah, sorry, that's another horrible tangent that we've managed to do. This is an
0: important tangent, and I don't know how it took six episodes to get there.
2: Actually, you know, I kind of am surprised too, because this is something that we've had very strong feelings on for a really long time.
0: We, we do indeed. <laughs> it is a kind of a pet. It's
2: like, it's like me and Pushing Daisies. Like, the girl with the dragon tattoo is like my movie version of Pushing Daisies.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah my version is now Hannibal,
2: although uh, it did run...
0: So... Ran for three years, so it had more than Pushing Daisies, but... So Yo, unfair. Amazon, Amazon,
1: what, what's up? I just...
2: Do you watch Hannibal, what's Dave? Up?
1: I have not seen any Hannibal.
2: Oh my god. Okay, when we're done recording this, please go watch it.
0: You will never be more sexually confused by a cannibal serial killer.
2: And also grossed out. Like, you'll be really grossed out. But it's also delicious looking.
1: Excellent yeah <laughs> I'll be aroused but in a gross way
2: <laughs> and also that's actually, hungry that's actually a pretty good description of the show <laughs> I'll be aroused but in a gross way
0: <laughs> we're available for dvd covers <laughs> podcast over
2: <laughs> no let Tyler the, hasn't let... messed up anybody's name yet we can't end the podcast <laughs> let the right films in
1: arousing in a gross way <laughs>
0: Anyways, now that uh, Gabe will be the only one listening to this episode... Ever. <laughs> uh, Gabe, I, you said you have one other non-movie thing, and I know that is the video game Until Dawn, right?
1: Yes, it is. Now that we have trashed Sony, now it is time to, for me to talk about a game that came out on their system, the PlayStation 4. I, uh, to be fair,
0: <laughs> I think it might be a different department.
1: That's, <laughs> that's fair. Also, I'm just trying to get you Sony sponsorship money, too. so.
0: It's too late. We kind of... we. We burned the bridge. Yeah, we burned the bridge. We salted the earth. We chucked it over a cliff and into an ocean.
1: Just edit out everything before this.
2: (laughs) The podcast starts now.
1: (laughs) Anyway. Welcome to
2: the... Oh. my bad.
1: (laughs) Anyway, so uh, Sony released a game called Until Dawn. I just got done with my first playthrough of it. And what it is, it's a pretty much a choose-your-own-adventure game. in it's very binary choices you throughout the game you have choices you can make Uh, a lot of them are super simple like are you going to be mean to this person or nice to this person but some of them are more in depth like oh are you going to run or hide and the whole thing is is that it's a kind of 80s slasher movie setup there are eight teenagers stuck on a mountain in a cabin at night in the winter and there's like a murderer there so depending on your choices, different characters can live or die. All the characters can die, all the characters can live. And if you are into horror movies, i definitely recommend it because it has that good 80s slasher feel to it. Kayla, it sounds like we should buy a
0: PlayStation 4 and
1: play I know, this game. I was
2: like, I really want to play that now. Well, I don't want to play it. I want to watch somebody else play it because, as we discussed last time, I'm not actually very good at video well, games. But... <laughs> this one's
1: pretty simple. They simplify the controls because... Obviously, the main concern is the story on this one, so it's not too hard to get into. Also, it has actual ho- Hollywood people in it. It has Hayden Panettiere from Heroes and Nashville, if you're into that show, I guess. And Disney. And Disney. It also has our new favorite Rami Malek in it. Woo! All hail. All hail.
2: He's... I haven't seen Mr. Robot yet, so but I'm going to go ahead and agree with you, because I really like Rami Malek, so...
1: From his work in the night.
2: (laughs) I like the night at the museum movies. All right.
1: (laughs) And from his work in the last Twilight movie.
2: That I have no comment on because I have not seen the last Twilight movie. (laughs) Neither
1: have I, but I know that it is a thing that Rami Malek is in.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Woo! Maybe we can do like the Anna Kendrick thing and just find a YouTube compilation of only his scenes (laughs) in the Twilight movie.
1: And just see the pleading in his eyes to get out of it. Yes. yes (laughs) yes <laughs>
0: yeah. but no i definitely want to play that game it might finally get me to buy a playstation 4
2: that's a lie you're not gonna
0: buy <laughs> yeah that's a PlayStation 4. i don't <laughs> lie to us i also need a blu-ray player
2: um that's true
0: because i'm i'm buying blu-rays that i can't watch because i'm one of those people now i'm one of those people now god help me
1: uh, i would also say fair warning on until dawn if you do not like jump scares don't play this game because wow. it is a pretty steady dose of jump scares Yay! They work well. There's just a lot of them.
2: Excellent. So I will die.
0: Yeah. Well, this has been a very grim but arousing beginning to our podcast. I'm just glad we're having this conversation on the on the Tarantino episode and not the Spirited Away episode. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> it, it's close enough. Kayla, did you watch anything this week?
2: Well, we've had a pretty abbreviated time between recording and job work yay same thing i say every week um so i've been watching a lot of adventure time the same
0: excuses as always
2: sorry uh anyway i've been watching a lot of adventure time at work because i love adventure time and it is probably one of the smartest and most creative shows in kids programming at this time today uh i've been watching seasons three and four because those are the ones we have at work and it's really fun because like as the show progresses, they definitely delve more into, like, the mythology of it, and it's there's, like, less filler episodes, which is nice because I like the mythology of Adventure Time, and, like, the filler episodes are okay, but I think it really shines once you get into the more serious stuff, and I'm hoping that with the, the coming seasons they're going to focus more on that. And I feel like they almost have to because they have some pretty stiff competition from Steven Universe now as, like ultra awesome gay children's tv show filled with like smart uh world building and yada yada and which is yeah which makes sense because rebecca sugar also worked on adventure time but yeah no, that's unfortunately i don't have a super long discussion on that because i haven't really had time
0: we've had a very uh, our, our uh, recording schedule uh for a peek behind the scenes It has been a little condensed due to various people's scheduling, but we're back on pace now, and I might actually watch things this week. As it is, all I really have today is it's been buzzed about on the internet because it's from the creator of The Wire and Treme David Simon. It's Show Me a Hero. I am not far into it, but I started watching it the other day on a giant HD TV. You're welcome. I forgot how beautiful things could be humble brag oh it's not mine so it's mine
2: it's, it's my tv
0: that and <laughs> that is not a humble brag that she's just straight up bragging <laughs> but it is uh it's by um the director of crash uh record it um films all the episodes um, i guess. are okay no i don't want to watch it anymore he only directs it it's written by david simon I fucking
2: hate Paul Haggis. Okay, but it looks, (laughs) anyways,
0: it's a beautiful show. There are some really, there are some things that are very on the nose, but also some things that are very well done. I've never seen Crash. Paul Haggis
2: on the nose? You don't say. Uh, No way.
0: Okay, yes. it's,
2: it's,
0: It's a very beautiful show. And from what I've seen, it's well written. Although you can't really judge a David Simon work until you're a little more into it than I am. It stars Oscar Isaac who is quickly gaining appreciation that is justly due because he is incredible. It is weird to imagine the same, uh, bro programmer of ex machina being the mustachioed young counselor turned male of this show and soon to be star Wars fighter pilot.
1: Star Wars encompasses all (laughs) star Wars does encompass all
0: it's very odd to see how good he is at doing all these things, but it's just incredible he's so good also jim belushi is on it and i haven't gotten much into his work but it's weird to see jim belushi on a thing being good shots fired jim belushi (laughs) but that is all i have this week and and kayla has already shot down my recommendation of it with a not so much a rant about paul haggis but
2: i'm just saying paul haggis is a complete fucking hack so
0: (laughs) i am not familiar with his work i can tell you that the cameras he's using are incredible
2: uh, he is probably visually fine it's just that his writing is terrible
0: maybe he's more fitting for television as a medium then because he didn't as far as i know he didn't do any of the writing or anything
2: i'm still just really upset about crash winning best picture over brokeback mountain and also he's just not like he's just not a good like third person is like the most convoluted ridiculous thing i didn't and i watched like half bother. of it and was like never mind and i should have known like i should have known I'm surprised you even tried it was a mistake
0: <laughs> you will never try again no
2: i really <laughs> just really cemented that i just don't like him
0: all right well i guess that is the last time we'll ever mention paul haggis on this podcast
2: <laughs> he will not be a sponsor he will
0: not be a chris evans either She's grinning at me. I'm sorry. She's just got the giant grin on her face, and I can't, I can't with this. Gabe, do you want to be (laughs) co-host?
2: You know it's funny because when Gabe said that Star Wars was all-encompassing, my first thought was not as encompassing as Captain America Civil War. God
0: no. Anyways, that is what we've watched recently. Now let's move on to our movie this week, with good old cutie, Reservoir Dogs.
2: Tell hey, your names. Mr. White, Mr. blonde Mr. Pink.
1: Why am I Mr. Pink? Who cares what your name is? Yeah, that's easy for you to
0: say. You're Mr. White. You have a cool sounding name. Let's go to White. don't know why I came here tonight? I got the feel something right. What happens if the manager won't give you the diamonds? Cut off one of his fingers. The little one. <laughs> <case I> <laughs> <of> <laughs> If they hadn't it done, when I told them not to do, they'd still be alive.
2: You're acting like a first-year thief. I'm acting like a professional.
0: This is the first time we're covering Quentin Tarantino on this podcast. It's going to go really well. We all love him unconditionally and have nothing but good things to say about him. Kayla
2: well with that kind of introduction (laughs) that's not true
0: okay (laughs) anyways uh kayla's not gonna speak anymore uh
2: (laughs) (laughs) all right uh i'm gonna let gabe go first on this one because i am interested in hearing his opinions before i give my opinions
0: he is a bigger he he has seen more of quentin tarantino's filmography than either of us so in a way gabe you're an expert Am, am i knowing more than myself and kayla makes you an expert clearly
1: so, where, where do you want me to start? Do you want me to start on Quentin Tarantino or does Reservoir Dogs? Let's start
0: with Reservoir Dogs. We'll get more into the, the oeuvre and the life and being of Quentin Tarantino later. Let's just start with Reservoir Dogs.
1: So, Reservoir Dogs is his first movie, which he made for, like, zero dollars. I definitely think that if you want just a picture of Quentin Tarantino and what his movies are, Reservoir Dogs is a good place to start. Because it has all of the Quentin Tarantino staples, overwhelmingly male cast. In yep. the rest of our dogs, there are actually no women who actually have speaking lines.
2: Uh, that was actually going to be, yeah, a trivia point that I was going to bring up later. So. <laughs>
0: <Yep>. It's <laughs> yeah. just so glaringly obvious it couldn't help but be brought up
1: right away. It really is. There is one female character on camera for the entire time.
2: And she gets shot.
1: And she gets shot.
2: Immediately.
1: <laughs> she does shoot Tim Roth, though, so.
2: Yeah, but, like, of the people that were going to get shot, like, Tim Roth is kind of, like, the one that shouldn't, like, it sucks that he's the one that got shot. Yeah. In that manner, I guess, because I guess they kind of all Her get role shot.
0: in the movie is to be the person who accidentally shoots the lone good guy, making her kind of, like, I mean, I don't think there was supposed to be this much.
1: Making him completely slip out of his American accent multiple times
0: i gotta be honest i did not notice it a whole lot mostly because he spends a lot of time just going i'm dying
2: man
1: that was that wasn't nearly as whiny no i can't
2: whine that much that's why i can't do it yeah i did notice that he is remarkably shrill (sighs) also
0: (laughs) i'm I'm dying man i mean maybe these guys don't watch many movies but i I would think that at least uh, not once does anyone put pressure on the wound He's no. just always lying there or flopping around with a bullet wound, just like open to these, open for the world. Just bleeding. Just bleeding. It's honestly amazing he lasted as long as he did.
2: I'm also confused by like his arm movements the whole time. Like, do you know what? Like, cause I can't, you can't see cause we're podcasting, but like he does this weird like chicken claw arm thing yeah. like the whole movie. And I'm like, what is that helping?
0: <laughs> I Hold your
2: guts in place. <laughs>
0: And is that a personal choice? Did Quentin Tarantino
1: want that? Who does this More, more squirming. About? That was just Quentin Tarantino. Just more squirming.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just, that was t- Tim. Listen, actors make choices, and Tim Roth made a choice. He's like, you know what? I'm really, they're going to feel me dying. I am going to be in so much pain and just existential agony, and this is how I'm going to get it across.
2: I didn't really feel that, though. I felt like it was just super over the top. But maybe, then again. Maybe that's
0: how he thinks Americans act. We're just like whiny and squirmy all the time.
2: <laughs> is, is he wrong? No. Except for the acting of our sponsors. No. Sw- <laughs> <laughs> Don't say it. I'm not going to. He's not a sponsor.
1: <laughs> anyway, uh-huh. I guess that also gets into the point of. So Tim Ross spends most of the movie writhing on the ground covered in blood. Yep. Which, Reservoir Dogs, even though it's one of quentin tarantino's least violent movies it's still ridiculously violent you mean the scene where they turn on
0: the radio and do a blood razor dance of death michael madsen
2: i actually had to like i like couldn't like watch that scene like i was like constantly like looking away because like there's just something so unsettling about like the the difference between the music and like what's happening
0: and considering how low budget the movie was and they didn't have much money for a lot other than the actors
2: a pretty
1: convincing job
2: they spent the whole budget like getting like i can't remember it was like one specific song yeah stuck in the middle with you thank you
0: (laughs) makes sense that he cites that as one of his five favorite uh musical cues in his own movies then and they, they drop not an insignificant amount of money on music, even besides that one, because there are very specific musical cues, which is a very specific part of this movie, but it's always either completely silent for Tarantino's dialogue to kind of just not breathe, because it's a little too kinetic for that, but it's either completely silent for his dialogue and the character interactions to shine, or it's like a very big poignant musical cue yeah
1: i definitely think that this movie isn't remembered as well and that's that scene in particular with the ear cutting off i don't think that's as iconic as it is without that musical cue to kind of juxtapose like you know like, reflect, like, oh man, upbeat music, while Michael Madsen cuts a guy's ear off.
0: And, I mean, I thought of Guardians of the Galaxy because of the inclusion of good old, um, Blue Swede. Blue Swede,
2: right? Ooga, ooga, ooga,
0: like, ooga, 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 yeah. ooga, <laughs> ooga, ooga,
2: As soon as it happened, I was like, fucking it!"
0: That's what made me think of it, but, uh, that, that ear-cutting scene is, kind of reminds me of the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy, except less, uh you know less heartwarming and adorable
1: and And more in the
0: way where it's obviously set up to be this moment like someone turns on the music and then they go to their work they do what they do best
2: well i don't think well again like i think gabe has a point like it wouldn't be a really memorable scene without the music cue because otherwise then it's just like another torture scene in a movie oh
0: without a doubt and i mean don't get me wrong. I love over-the-top musical cues that then initiate some weird sequence of some sort. I'm on board. It's a great. It's a great scene. Just can't help it. Analyze <laughs> it a bit. But uh, the thing I liked this movie more than I remembered the first time. I think so. Quentin, Tar- Quentin Tarantino is always his big thing is that he is an actor's director and that he's all about his characters. Because he always... And he's gained a reputation for this, obviously. He always wants the actors to shine. And that's why he gives them this dialogue. Which is why he loves the newsroom. Because Sorkin. <laughs>
1: uh, I, I have feelings on the newsroom. Everybody
0: has feelings on the newsroom. All of them bad, except for Tarantino's. But So he does movies in a way where it doesn't work in the same way like any other director's movie would uh, when it says... So, uh, so take... Uh, Kayla, I forgot her name. Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel, that's the name. <laughs> yep, so, yes! <laughs> so Harvey Keitel, for most of this movie, is kind of the ostensible lead before Tim Roth finally comes back after lying in a pool of blood, unconscious for an hour. And he has a very strong character arc in this movie. He builds this relationship with this young, what he thinks is like an up-and-coming criminal, this kind of protege, And then it's kind of all taken apart at the end when he finds out he's killed his friends to defend this guy who's been ratting him out the whole time. And it's interesting how under another director, they would probably focus on Harvey Keitel's character and his journey. But because of how Quentin Tarantino structures his movies with the weird time stuff to keep you off balance and with the also giving shine to all these other characters, there isn't really a lead in the movie at all. The journey, its you can see how this journey could have gone in a more typical Hollywood movie. But instead, it is just one of a number of interesting character beats in this movie. And I think even though it doesn't get a lot of time to shine, I think it works really well. I think Tim Roth's character arc works really well. I just remember liking the uh, character work on this more than I did.
2: Well, that's, I mean, as many problems as I have with Quentin Tarantino story weaving is not one of them he is really good at because like so many hollywood movies have ensemble casts but then like the ensemble is assembled pretty much just so you can say that all the people are in the movie whereas tarantino is really good at like really utilizing all of the people that he has in the movie and all of his movies are like that where i feel like with the exception of probably like Django, yeah. where like there's like not really a defined lead. Cause like obviously, Pulp Fiction has like all these different characters kind of overlapping and in Inglorious Bastards. Like you could kind of make an argument that it's Shoshana, but also not really because yeah. like so much other stuff happens. And so I think that's like a really kind of undervalued skill when it comes to like screenplay writing and stuff like that.
0: And he structures movies in a way that is it's not unique to him especially now that there are so many imitators but I can't imagine watching this or pulp fiction at the time back in the 90s because even now when I first watch him when you first watch it for this like it's a like, confusing and he clearly takes joy in challenging the audience and messing with them in that way mm-hmm. Not with making something that makes no sense but like making something that makes sense but is you have, you have to, to work for it yeah and I think that's really it's really cool. Right. And that's kinda of why Tarantino's so big, is cause even though he is problematic, which we will get to, his how problem <laughs> just how very problematic he is, <laughs> he's also so good at certain things, and although much of his work is kinda of lifted from things he loved when he was younger, it's you it's kinda of unique to the marketplace now.
1: I was gonna say Definitely with his characters, I think that is his biggest strength, which he did an interview with Vulture, which I'm sure we are going to go into much more later on, where he said that his characters, he thinks, are going to be his biggest legacy, which I agree with, because with Reservoir Dogs, the time jumping that he does in some of his other movies, I don't think that it works as well if the characters are weak and Say what you want about Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino can write a character. Yeah, I think
2: the the only the issue that I do kind of have with that is I feel like sometimes in his movies, like plot or otherwise, like things are definitely like kind of sacrificed, like at the expense of like dialogue for a character or something. Like it might not like it might. I'm trying to think of. He almost
0: does it. even more now than he used to. Where like especially in *Glorious Bastards*. Where there are just long scenes of a conversation. And because he has a budget now, he can really focus in on those conversations. And I mean,
2: I don't mind that, but also at the same time, like, I definitely think that sometimes maybe um, stop tooting your own horn so much about how great you are at writing dialogue and maybe fucking move the plot along. It
0: sticks out at a certain (laughs) point when you reach episode or like minute 10 of a monologue. It's it's He starts
2: monologuing. (laughs)
0: It's like we we get it, man. It takes you out of the movie a little bit, and mm-hmm. is and it's like yes, this is this is well executed and kinetic, and I'm interested, but kind of tired, man. I want like let's, let's shoot some Nazis or something.
2: Well, and also like so much of the issue, and like it's not even just like Reservoir Dogs is better, obviously, because it was his first movie, and I don't think he could really just have people talk for twenty minutes straight.
0: Although he tried.
2: He tried, but like I think it just, you have these people just like talking endlessly and eventually it gets really boring and also it makes your plot seem weaker than it actually is. Like in *Inglorious Bastards, for example, you have just like in, I can't remember exactly what scene it is, but it's literally just like this unending conversation that never ends. Like they just keep talking and at a certain point it's like just stop
1: like i understand
2: that you think that you are the smartest person ever and that you think that your writing is like the best writing ever but i need you to chill out and just let your movie happen which is the point that i was trying to arrive at that i was struggling for (laughs) but that is the point is that like his it like comes off as like smarmy almost like that like you can clearly tell that like he was like sitting somewhere writing and he was like Oh my god, this is so good! I am so good at writing. So he
0: basically does Tim Ross little pet talk to himself <laughs> in the mirror.
2: You are so cool. You are
0: super cool. Yep.
2: <laughs> but
0: yeah, yeah. And Gabe, tell, what, what, tell us more like what you think of this movie, as you are more into the Tarantino oeuvre.
1: I definitely think that this this is my favorite. Quentin Tarantino movie, I think for a lot of the reasons that we've laid out, that he didn't have the budget to self-indulge so much, even though I think some of the self-indulgence is what makes a, these movies It's a tenuous good. balance. Like, I don't want him to stop writing a ton of dialogue, because admittedly he is very good. Like, the opening scene of Reservoir Dogs in the diner, which before I rewatched it for the podcast, I remembered it just going on forever, and it's really not that long. And just through the dialogue of all the characters, which again is a testament to his character work, you get a pretty good idea of who all these people are in five minutes without having to go super deep on background. And then you get the cool walking characters. shot that's on the cover of the
0: movie.
2: I do think that kind of like dialogue is sort of like in today's like super blockbuster adaptation, yada yada. Like, It's kind of, not necessarily like, I guess not a lost art form, but it's definitely not the focus of most movies. Like, sometimes movies, like especially big blockbuster movies, you kind of forget that, like, the characters are people. Like, I feel like even if they talk too much or even if stuff goes on for too long, I feel like every character in a Tarantino movie is, like a real not like a believable person i guess because they're ridiculous but like they feel like a real human
0: being and he's he is very clearly not afraid to make them bad people <laughs> he's very into not having the redeemable
1: oh, white male no. hero yeah even tim roth is not a great person in this movie. no i guess he doesn't have any particularly bad
0: moments i can't remember if he like uses slurs at any point but it's pretty clear he's not he's he's just a dude in this kind of messed up world i guess but and another thing so quentin tarantino thinks he'll be remembered for his characters and i think kind of evidence of the way this conversation has gone very tarantino focused tarantino might be too much of a character of himself
2: yeah like that's he's the
0: character that's <laughs> that he's going to be remembered for is
2: his well, own like, character. His, well, his dialogue is very clearly, very much like self-insert stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like when I was reading on the trivia for the movie, like he wrote Mr. Pink for himself. Yeah. And like that definitely like every time Steve Buscemi talks, like it's pretty clear that that kind of stuff, that, that it was meant for Tarantino.
1: I mean, I do. Everyone that I've seen, I do believe every Quentin Tarantino movie he's made, Quentin Tarantino is in.
0: Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad he's <laughs> only in this movie for a little bit, and that he stopped putting himself in movies as a character for the most part. My first note,
2: Tyler. Oh yeah, this is the one where Quentin Tarantino is actually in the movie. Me.
0: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Quentin. It's like Quentin. I know the dialogue is yours, and you can kind of speak it, but it does not. The movie movies don't hold up as well when you are in. <laughs>
2: Take a look at uh when yeah. M. Night Shyamalan tried to be oh, the main character no, no. in his own movie oh, that he wrote.
1: No, no. <laughs> That's like with that opening scene. I would say all the dialogue you get, okay, Mr. Blonde's a psychopath, Mr. Pink is us in it for himself, Mr. Orange is the rat. I have I have no idea what Quentin Tarantino is talking about. He just wants to talk about oh, he's Madonna pop culture. and Dicks.
0: Like, I, I actually tell, <laughs> I I did the same thing you kind of talking about is each person kind of has a defining characteristic there's the crazy one there's the honorable one who has the name mr white i don't know if that was intentional that he's the honorable one has that name but there's the. it seems on the nose enough yeah. that it is yeah. intentional and there's the pop culture one quentin tarantino and then there's eddie bunker who's just the one who's not even in the movie actually.
2: I read... He died off screen. Well, yeah, so I guess what it was was he couldn't remember his lines. Like, he was so terrible at doing the scenes that that's why they killed him because, like, he, like, couldn't do the scenes. Yeah. Which is amazing. (laughs) I
0: kind of like it better this way. (laughs) Yeah. That is great. And also, Steve Buscemi's so good that I'm glad... Part of the big reason this movie was such a success and that they actually were able to get everyone is because Harvey Keitel got a hold of the script through, I think, his a wife, I think, Uh, but I that part has slipped my mind. But he got a hold of the script and he really liked it, and that's a big reason the movie got the one point five million dollar budget or whatever they managed is because Harvey Keitel got attached as the lead, and so that got them the money where they could get Steve Buscemi. And they get Michael Madsen, although he probably wasn't that expensive, which this movie is much better with Steve Buscemi as Mr. Pink than it ever would have been with Quentin Tarantino as Mr. Pink and whoever the other leads were like part of the reason this movie works and it kind of set a precedent for Tarantino is it has these actors who might not be name brand and that reviving actors was kind of his thing for a while. But they're really good in this movie. Like, I love Harvey Keitel in general, and he's really good for the most part in this movie. Steve Buscemi's really good in this movie, and I can't really imagine what this movie would have looked like without those people. It would not have worked as well because you need people who can handle that dialogue for that dialogue to work.
2: Yeah, and, like, Steve Buscemi is super, like, it's he's, like, a super meme now. So I almost kind of, like, forgot that Steve Buscemi is actually a good actor. <laughs> so was, was it the like,
0: meme or the Adam Sandler movies?
2: Fuck, who knows?
1: Both. <laughs> I think
2: it was more the meme because I kind of forgot that he was in all the Adam Sandler movies. I'm sorry. But, From um, <laughs> he is, like, <laughs> undoubtedly, like, the star power of this movie. Yeah.
0: Mike, Michael Madsen got the shine. I don't know how much work Michael Madsen got after this. I imagine there was a little bump, but I, I don't know what Michael Madsen is doing now. Probably not.
1: It didn't work for him quite the way it worked for Travolta. But... And, I mean, we haven't even talked about Chris Penn nice guy. You mean him? Jonah Hill? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, so this is going to get a
0: little grim but i was watching as i'm watching this movie i'm like he's not as good as jonah hill but he is jonah hill kayla even after it was after i said it but was like you're right this is he's jonah hill
2: yeah in my notes i wrote down which character was which because like the first 40 minutes of this movie i was super confused and i guess that that's kind of the point but i wrote it down so i wouldn't forget later and my notes say eddie equals jonah hill
0: And I was thinking, I'm like, man, Chris Penn must be looking at Jonah Hill's work now. And like, I could have done that. Why didn't I get Oscars?
1: Unfortunately, my my defining characteristic for Chris Penn, I just wrote Chris Penn equals that track jacket.
0: Track jacket. (laughs) And he will always be Jonah Hill to me. Unfortunately, he can't look at Jonah Hill and be jealous because he died in 2006 at age 40, which is a bummer.
2: It, yeah, I guess but. I don't know. I guess I also found out that he is Sean Penn's brother, what? which makes me less inclined to believe that he was a good person. Oh, I never expected him to be a good person.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> I was just like, dude reminds me of Jonah Hill. <laughs>
2: oh, what? Okay, I got gotcha. you.
1: And that's also very amazing because at one point he was Madonna's brother-in-law.
2: Oh, right.
1: Oh, wow.
2: I don't want to talk about Madonna and Sean Penn's relationship because I'll just get really angry and sad.
0: Oh. So,
2: we're going to skip that tangent for oh, now. Yeah. Um, let's see. Let me... Charlie's left him. I know. That's so... good. That's really good. Hey, you know, Gabe, Brighton... maybe you know the answer to this. Um. So, as we were watching, we noticed there's a scene where they're all talking like when they're like, I think it's when they're beating up the cop and they're all in there. The door to the shed just like opens and one of them just walks over and closes it. Do you, was that just like, did that just happen on accident and they just went with it? I don't
1: totally know the answer to that, but it seems like that is the case that they just, that they just didn't close the door well enough and it blew open. So then they just,
0: and Harvey Keitel just rolled with it and he just went close and locked the door and there's no point to it, so I'm pretty sure. I don't know what inspired Harvey Keitel to just roll with it, and everybody just kept talking and everything. But it certainly seems like when Tarantino just like saw it in the editing room and was like, "I like that. Just keep it. In, keep
1: it." I in. enjoy
2: it. So I feel like Tarantino is a super like kind of on the nose. Like I feel like he probably obsessively plans things, but I also really like that. Like I feel like there's a couple of like spontaneous moments in all of his movies that work really well so i enjoy that he's kind of like this like auteur director who can also like accept like okay shit happens and Mm -hmm. sometimes it's good
1: right
0: that's another thing with tarantino is and this will probably take us into more of a discussion as we continue to discuss him and not the actual movie reservoir dogs as much
2: okay well here's the thing like when you discuss a tarantino Mm -hmm. movie i feel like you're pretty much just talking about like him
1: like, he puts himself so much into his movies And like we said earlier He's such a character himself It's almost hard not to talk about Quentin Tarantino when you talk about One of his movies Without a doubt
0: <laughs> <laughs> As evidenced by every review of a Quentin Tarantino
2: movie He's ever. just like a super cult of personality Which is why like I feel like He's so, like, you either really like him or... Well, I guess I'm pretty. I don't really dislike him or love him either way, but... It's hard. It
0: reminds me... So someone... I heard someone recently compare him to Donald Trump with the way that people love him because he's so different and because he's so out there and he just won't operate by the rules. I think... And, like don't, I don't like that comparison. I don't think it works uh, for, because he has talent, for one. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it reminds me a little of Kanye uh just because in the term like because genius I... in his field
1: mm-hmm.
0: outspoken a lot of people hate him for valid reasons a lot of people well i guess kanye is more of a case for invalid reasons to hate him a lot of that's just racist whereas tarantino is white so he doesn't have to deal with that much but uh kind of just it very his sing- the singularness of his personality is obviously it draws a lot of people to him And then I think that leads to a lot of people saying, well, you can't ask him to be PC. You can't ask him to tone it down because the whole thing that makes him great is that he's willing to go out there and do these things. And if you take even a part of that away, you're kind of cutting out the the thing that makes him special. I don't buy into that as much. I think it's kind of an excuse to get away with being a little too indulgent sometimes. But it really feeds into that and makes talking about him... Either more difficult or more uh, complicated.
1: If I talk about Kanye West, we're going to be here for two more hours, <laughs> which we can't be
0: because that's a let's, long podcast.
2: Let's yeah, let's uh, let's stick to Tarantino. <laughs> uh, ah. I would like you yeah, you please go ahead and add to that because I have a whole thing.
0: Kayla's <laughs> been
1: waiting.
2: But- so Gabe, please.
1: The thing about quentin tarantino which there are a few of my notes where i'm just in the movie i'm like oh man like do you really need to have these guys be racist and use slurs to get across that they're bad people it's
0: like you because obviously the argument has been made that he's being real and that there are people really like that but sometimes do we really need so much of it do we need to talk right. about black semen coming out of a dude's ears to really power the point home that these are gross mobsters? I
2: was yeah, I was super nonplussed with the whole prison rape joke shit. Like it was pretty
0: extended too. Yeah. I don't know if he'd do the same thing now. That's one thing where at least with this movie, he made it twenty years ago. And while he's still in many ways the same person Maybe he wouldn't do that now. I don't
1: That's know. the the interesting thing is that in that Vulture interview that I mentioned earlier, he talks about how he's so excited that this this stuff in Baltimore, the stuff in Ferguson is happening, that we're fighting back against this white supremacist yes. system. But at the same time, it might just be a case that he's mellowed after twenty years. Or it might be a case that he thinks that doing this will expose how ugly it is.
2: Well, I said to Tyler earlier, as we were talking on the way here, I said, I was like, he's kind of like, he's, he's, he's racist, like kind of in a way, but he's like the racist guy that doesn't think he's being racist. Like, he thinks it's okay for him to like say this stuff. He thinks it's okay because he, like in his head he thinks it's helping and in his head he thinks that he's like doing a good thing and i think that's really showcased in how when spike lee criticized him he completely was like nah man you're wrong and it's like nah man you're fucking white you should listen when someone like spike lee calls you out it's a
1: case of where i you're right i don't think he i don't think that he thinks he's racist and i think that he's doing this In a way that he thinks is helping, like, oh man, like let's like really think about this. But as a white dude, Quentin Tarantino should not be the thought leader on this kind of thing. Exactly.
2: And that's what it boils down to is it's like a huge showcasing of privilege. And that's kind of how I feel about like his filmography in general, is I feel like while he is a good filmmaker and he's a good writer, I think that his main, like, talent that he's made into his career is being able to tap into that very, like, white heterosexual male violence fantasy. Like, he's really good at getting to the core of, like, that weird inner desire just to, like, fuck shit up and hurt people. Like, not so much to the extent of, like, like, an American psycho kind of thing. It's more stylized than that and, like, not more innocent, but in a way that, like, it feels more acceptable like when you're watching it like you're kind of excited about it it goes back to that like gruesomely aroused thing where like <laughs> it's pretty cool to watch michael Matson dance around to bouncy music and cut someone's ear off but there's like, a
0: fantastical nature to it that kind of detaches it from reality just enough yeah. that you can enjoy it
1: without thinking it's like propagating something yeah and occasionally he'll throw a line or a scene in there that makes you think that he might have a little more depth to what he's talking about. Like before the Michael Manson scene, when they have the cop just tied up and they're beating him and nice guy Eddie comes in, which is one of my favorite lines in the films, but they say, Oh yeah, like we're beating this guy up to see if he knows who the rat is. And nice guy Eddie says, if you beat the guy hard enough, he'll tell you that that he started the Chicago fires, but that doesn't necessarily make it so. So it's kind of like he's condemning torture but at the same time is just displaying all this other (laughs) crazy
2: violence. I don't know. To me, Tarantino is like, with that kind of stuff, he's like almost like trapped in it. Like, I don't know if it's something that he personally can't get over or like he feels like he has to include it. But like, while all of his movies are good, I don't necessarily see like a lot of growth between them, like as an artist. Like I compared Reservoir Dogs kind of to Fight Club, where it kind of has that same like male violence, like pseudo-philosophical thing going on. But the difference between Tarantino and Fincher is that I feel like Fincher improves and learns and grows with every movie. Like I can't imagine Fincher making a movie like Fight Club today. Whereas like I look at the trailer for the Hateful Eight and I'm like, okay so kind of like reservoir dogs but with more people and during the civil war
0: maybe he's getting like technically better but in terms of like his storytelling and
2: it's all pretty much similar stories and like kind of the same characters and again i think that goes back to him being so much of a character in his own right and self-inserting himself so much that it makes that kind of development hard for him as an artist
1: and besides the fact that just as an audience outside of reservoir dogs pretty much all of his movies have made a ton of money so he's not getting any outside feedback that he's listening to that he needs to change right. anything right it's like
2: Christopher Nolan fans honestly
1: especially <laughs> recently
0: it's been a bit like cuz grindhouse was kind of like a real low for him like that movie though that double feature thing did not with Robert Rodriguez did not make money but now after the last two movies He kind of has a blank check to do whatever he wants. And he very clearly does not. He like, he says specifically that like morality critics and television critics and all these critics, he just shuts them out. Like they have nothing good to say. And he, so I, I have this, uh, I had this friend in high school and he was one of those people who would say there are stereotypes for a reason. And that's just how the world is. That's just the way people are, which is bullshit and really messed up and I don't think Tarantino's quite to that extent but I think there is a certain amount of in his what like showing people how they are that kind of shows up in his work and it's like that's one of his kind of excuses
2: you know it seems like sorry I don't even necessarily think it's like showing people how they are I think it's this really like nihilistic view of the world yeah and it's it's... like one even if the world is like that we don't have to accept that like Mm. instead of like like you can show people how to be better
0: that's true like I mentioned David Simon earlier and his big thing is like showing how systems are and showing how they're corrupt and how things really are uh I don't think that's, I don't think that's what uh, Tarantino is doing. I think it's, I think it is just nihilistic. Mm-hmm. And his, They might be an excuse that there are people like that, but also he just likes having people like that in his movies. Like he likes it, he likes doing stories with just bad people, not even anti-heroes. I
2: mean, I think it's like, it again, kind of goes back to that self-insert thing where it like taps uh-huh. into this, like, fairly prevalent like cultural fantasy of like look at like even like if you look at like movies like the purge or just like stuff like that like there's definitely like this weird cultural fascination with like not having to play by the rules and being able to do whatever you want and just like murder people and do whatever and etc and i don't know like I get that that's maybe kind of like the animalistic human nature or whatever, but I think it's more interesting to rise above that personally. And I think that's why so much of Tarantino's work kind of is a miss for me because like one, I mean, I'm like I'm a women's studies major. Like, when, when
1: see, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: So like when I see stuff like this and when I see people that are so callous and so just like, I don't have to listen to you and like, I don't have to like, coddle you and it's like it's not even coddling it's just being like baseline decent like you can do that like you're not like compromising yourself to just like take two seconds to not be a fucking asshole and
1: the weird thing is is that like if he really puts his mind to it like tarantino can write a pretty good female character too
2: yeah shoshana and glorious bastards is a really good example of that
0: yeah it's the the Most people who would say something like that, like they don't want to listen to morality critics all, like usually we consider those people not great. We consider them kind of ignorant and not willing to change. See,
2: Stephen Moffat. (laughs) uh,
0: Probably because of how good Tarantino is, we give, well, some people give him, the General Masters definitely give him a little bit more of a pass on being willfully... Whether it's ignorant or dismissive, willfully dismissive, I'll say of certain things. Well,
2: there things. are so many films. Yeah, I don't. Or, think sorry, he's, go ahead, Game.
1: No, I don't think he's necessarily I'm ignorant. i saying dismissive. Again, like, I, yeah, I would say dismissive because, like, he has all these gripes about like racism, and it, there's an article where he talks about John Ford, who did a whole bunch of Western movies, and how he hates him for uh, his portrayal of Native Americans in it. But I think that he just thinks that what he's doing is helping somehow. So he dismisses any sort of criticism in those veins directed towards his. Yeah.
2: I think that really what it boils down to is that he's just like super into himself. And thinks that whatever he is doing must be the right thing, regardless of what anybody else says.
0: And he can be very observant of things that are outside of himself.
2: Exactly. As
0: soon as it comes into his sphere, it's warped almost.
2: Mm-hmm. I feel like if somebody like, I feel like if somebody made a movie similar to his movie and he watched it, he would probably feel maybe the same like maybe not the same way that I do, but he would kind of be like, eh, it's kind of fucked up. Like maybe you shouldn't do that.
0: But then you see some of the movies he really likes, because that's a big thing every year is when he comes out with his top ten for the year. And people talk about the movies he has on there. Like, he was a big fan of The Lone Ranger. What? I know. How (laughs) are you (laughs) going to declare somebody
2: for their portrayal of Native Americans?
0: And then you like The Lone Ranger. But he's got this weird thing where, like, he is so into the technical nature of things that kind of the overall vision of it sometimes it not as big of a deal.
2: Right. See, for me, that's, and I mean, when I, I've been writing kind of about like some like stuff in this nature a lot lately because of what's going on in the music industry that I work in. And a point that I made, and this is true of filmmakers too, is like at what point do we decide that artistic output is more valuable than the people destroyed in its wake? Mm-hmm. So like that's where you have people like Woody Allen and people like Roman Polanski who are widely acclaimed, like adored filmmakers bad fucking people who did horrible things like it's gonna like when we get to those movies like it's gonna be a struggle for me because like i have no interest in giving any of my time or support to those directors and i think tarantino is like obviously like a much lighter example of that but it's like when you have so many like rabid fans that are so willing to defend somebody based on their artistic output like it kind of It just puts me off because it's like, there are real people who are hurt by this stuff.
1: Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And it's like, you can't just ignore that because dude made a good movie.
0: Yeah. And we do have to wrap up and I do want to touch back on a couple of things, reservoir dogs. So we should probably wrap up our Tarantino discussion. (laughs) But I mean, it kind of sounds like we're all coming to a conclusion of he's tremendously talented and also very problematic And I think the fact that he's problematic in a way that there are very good aspects to him but also a number of very bad ones Mm -hmm. and you can't quite pin them all down is also partially what keeps him in the zeitgeist is that you can never just dismiss Tarantino but you can never just praise him either.
2: Right. Well, I mean, that was kind of what I was talking about earlier where, like, you have, like, obviously there are women who like his movies despite the fact that they're overwhelmingly male and stuff like that. And I touched briefly on how, like, And I mentioned um, that Sasha Geffen on Twitter said that there's not really an outlet for like that female, like violent fantasy kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So like we kind of have to like live vicariously through your violent fantasy movies. And I would honestly be interested in seeing him try to tackle something like that. That isn't like a weird fetish revenge story like Kill Bill.
0: (laughs) And that's why reservoir dogs is kind of one of my favorite movies of his is it's really more of a character study in a way.
2: Yeah. A less yeah.
0: over the top character study.
2: Yeah. I wish I, I would almost like to see him go back and do something like more simple like oh. that.
0: And one last thing I want to know about Reservoir Dogs, and I want to give Gabe some last time here too, but before I forget, is when I was, when I was first watching the movie, I'm like, oh Tarantino is more of a writer than director at this point. But then with the music and then his uh Oh my god, I forgot his name. Uh, Mr. Orange.
2: Tim Roth. Tim Roth.
0: <laughs> Tim Roth. I'm so bad. At this. But Tim Roth, when he the whole part where he gets the story to tell, the witty anecdote to kind of get him into the gang. Oh my god. The whole sequence yep. with that is incredible. It, it is obviously not a new thing to keep telling one story as you cut to different scenes, telling it to different people. But the way he does it in the stylistic nature where it's like the the surreal part in the bathroom where it's like an imagining of part of the story and you have the dog and the cops there and the swirling camera and all that. Or whether it's on the rooftop or when he's in the bar talking to the actual guys. The way that whole thing plays out is pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. And I just want to shout that because besides there is some really cool Directorial things and not just the writing
1: part. Also, with that much lighter note, commode is just such a great word for toilet.
0: <laughs> Which is a great <laughs> thing to end on. It's just the greatness of commode. And I don't know where that came from in that movie. Maybe Tim Roth said it on set and they were Tarantino was like, I dig that.
1: Can you, what was that again? <laughs> Quentin Tarantino was like, yes.
0: Commode. I like that word. I like how it sounds in my dialogue. It is. But yeah, that's Gabe. Did you have last thoughts on Reservoir Dogs before we go?
1: I think it's the best Quentin Tarantino movie because he didn't have room to self indulge so much. Great characters. Really, I can I go ahead and highlight a couple things from the Vulture interview that I found yes. interesting? Uh, just a couple small things. He said that the last two TV shows he watched all the way through were Justified and How I Met Your Mother.
0: One of those makes a lot of sense.
1: The other one doesn't. The
0: other one is a sitcom that ran for nine years.
1: That ran for three years too long. (laughs) Shots fired. Maybe like seven years
2: too long, honestly. (laughs) Everybody
1: on the internet has fired those shots, to be fair. And the other thing from the interview is that it was one of the footnotes that Quentin Tarantino tried to get the rights to Casino yes, Royale. Yes, thank
0: you for bringing that up. I almost forgot.
1: And a Quentin Tarantino Bond movie would have been the craziest thing to he ever happen. He very
0: much wanted to subvert Bond, and I'm kind of bummed that didn't happen because I don't know if it would have worked. But it
1: would. But it would have been really interesting. Yes, it would have been incredible.
2: That's yeah. That's pretty much. I feel like it would almost be like too funny in a way. Yeah. But, but it would also, again, it would be really interesting to see that.
1: of like, Well,
2: because, like, James Bond is really ridiculous, like, as a character and as, like, a story. That's the thing.
0: Tarantino <laughs> taking on the most white, most woman unfriendly, misogynistic, in many cases. Sorry, Monica. In many cases, <laughs> it is not a kind series towards women. And British, and just Tarantino taking to that. It's just been it would have been cool yeah maybe they'll let him no he'll never have a chance i wish there was a a space in the world for him to do like a little side project like bond not spoof but like his little version of a mini bond thing
1: well, at, at one point he said that he's only making 10 movies and hatefully Eight's going to be number eight. So if he, if he keeps to that, we do not have a lot of Quentin Tarantino
0: I left. I will believe that when he,
2: he will not surrender his throne like that. Like, I'm sorry. It's I will believe that happen. when
0: he dies with only 10 movies on his filmography. And until then <laughs> I will not
1: believe that there's not 11 movie coming. I could see it that he stops directing, but then he just writes for everyone. Or maybe and he
0: goes to television because that's a big part of it too is talking about going to television in that interview also he is too he is too hard on it follows he has some valid points but also others that are just like nitpicking
2: he's super nitpicky
0: we're also big backers of it follows very biased (laughs) kayla did you have any last thoughts i'm sorry gabe was that all yeah all right
2: Um, I have pretty much expressed all that I think I'm going to express, so I'm just going to go ahead and launch into my fun trivia fact of the week. Fun trivia? Ba-ba! But yeah, um, so... At points during the movie, Tim Roth was lying in the pool of fake blood for so long that he would get stuck in it because it would dry and they would have to like take a couple of minutes to just like peel him out of it so that he could like go eat lunch or something. And just like the idea of like or the image of like crew members just like trying to like pry Tim Roth off the floor so he can go eat a sandwich or something is just hilarious to me.
1: I hope that he was still in character and still writhing around. Yeah, though,
2: but... <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> I'm dying, man. Need a sandwich.
0: <laughs> All right, my uh, IMDb factor of the week is we kept, I, kept, I kept it Quentin Tarantino focused. He has five movies on the IMDb 250, which is over half of his filmography. They are Django Unchained, Inglorious Bastards, Kill Bill Volume One. Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. The only ones that aren't on there is Cable Volume Two, which is interesting, uh, just because Volume One is on there. And I thought Volume I can't I can't say I thought Volume Two was at least as well accepted. Uh, Death Proof is obviously not on there, and I don't think they count that as one of his. I don't think they count that as one of his eight because of. The weird nature of it. And then yeah. Jackie Brown, which a lot of people stump for as their favorite movies of his, is not on there. Let's see. What is...
1: Pulp Fiction is really high, isn't
0: it? Yeah, Pulp Fiction's really high. Kill Bill Volume 2 is an 8, so it does not miss the 250 by much. It's just kind of how aggregation works that it's just not on there. That one's kind of a.
2: I think that fluke. I think Volume 1 is better than Volume 2, in my opinion.
0: I think I'm remembering that. I wasn't big on Kill Bill either kill bill because i didn't like uma thurman you know Bride.
2: i weirdly saw kill bill at way too young of an age because my grandma was watching it because oh. my grandma loves like violent like horror movies and okay. action movies so like, i got watched it and i just remember the whole time being like am i allowed to watch this <laughs> like it's so confused no no uh. probably not honestly i think my parents would have been pissed
0: and uh that with that we come to recommendations gabe What do you recommend this week and why?
1: I have one really obvious one, which is if Reservoir Dogs is somehow your first Quentin Tarantino movie, pretty much everyone after that then goes on to watch Pulp Fiction, which I think is going to be remembered as the Quentin Tarantino movie. Most likely.
2: I mean, there's a whole song. That's true.
1: Uh, But my other one is, if you are just interested in his writing, another good one that gets overlooked a lot is True Romance, which stars another another dude from Mr. Robot, Christian Slater.
0: Oh, Christian. Your career (laughs) is weird.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And Patricia Arquette, who was actually supposed to show up at the end of Reservoir Dogs originally. I did
2: not know that. I read that, yeah. I missed that I part. haven't seen True Romance, so I didn't really understand that bit of trivia. So thank you for articulating.
0: <laughs> you have added value to this podcast, Gabe. <laughs> Just, now. Just now. Just now. It took a while, <laughs> but we got there.
2: Oh, no, that's not true. <laughs> uh, so my recommendations for this week are kind of similar in tone. Um, the first one is Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, which I haven't seen in a while but sticks out to me as a really good movie where like another where you kind of don't really know everything that's going on and it also involves robbing a jewelry store so similar in that regard <laughs> and then the other one is A History of Violence which stars Viggo Mortensen who was almost in Reservoir Dogs according to the IMDb trivia and it's just like also a really interesting kind of character study about like this man whose life turns out kind of to be a lie and has to uh, go back into circumstances that he did not really like. So yeah, if you're looking for something that kind of has that same like dark vibe that's also really character-driven, both of those movies are really good follow-up movies to watching this. Tyler? Yes.
0: my I am also going with a dual recommendation. My first one is... Has similar because it is a revenge movie. It is Blue Ruin. It came out a couple of years ago and got a lot of love in indie circuits. The director is actually coming out with a sequel. It stars Sir Patrick Stewart as a neo-Nazi. And I'm really looking forward to seeing that for many reasons. Because Blue Ruin is so good and because Sir Patrick Stewart changing it up. But Blue Ruin is a really cool uh, movie about what happens after revenge. It is kind of the opposite of a Tarantino movie in that there is not much dialogue, it is quiet throughout, and the person who perpetrates the revenge is not good at it. The uh, the director compared it to If No Country for Old Men had idiots in it.
2: <laughs> that how amazing. he describes
0: the main character. Oh my god. <laughs> is basically like if the people in No Country for memory idiots. <laughs> and it is a great Perfect. movie. It is also tremendously violent in parts. And the guy spent all of his money to make it. And thankfully, because it was successful, he's now getting to make other movies without having to risk most of his life and money. And the other one is, we mentioned how Quentin Tarantino has weird end-of-the-year lists that feature movies you would not expect. His movie lists. Two years ago featured a number of mumblecore movies, which after thinking about made a lot of sense because Tarantino is so much about characters and dialogue and mumblecore movies don't have much else besides those. Yep. And the two big ones in that movie are Francis Ha, which is the Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach movie that got a lot of love and it is really good
2: I love Greta Gerwig and honestly as much as I like Noah Baumbach I can't wait for her to be in like other people's stuff
0: his stuff is better for having her in it yeah so I would I'd be interested in uh, something that is almost all Greta Gerwig and also on there is just as a sad comment is Drinking Buddies which features podcast sponsor Anna Kendrick (laughs) who is delightful in that movie and I like three of the four main characters a fair amount the movie doesn't totally work joe Swansburg makes twelve thousand movies a year though and that is one of my favorites of his even though i find it not totally it doesn't stitch together completely it's just a nice showcase for jake johnson olivia wilde anna kendrick and ron livingston but i don't want to fire shots at ron livingston he doesn't deserve shots fired at them as far as i know mm-hmm. anyways those are our recommendations that is our discussion of reservoir dogs but mostly quentin tarantino Gabe, thank you for so much for coming on. We will have you on again soon. Kayla, thank you for being here with me again.
2: As always. Gabe, I'm really glad that you were on. I'm really excited for you to be on again. Thank you. It's going to be sweet.
0: Thank you for Thanks having for me. Thanks for
2: being our number one fan. And I will expect that fan fiction draft in my inbox.
0: And I swear to God, if you miss Chris Evans again the next time you're on, I will end <laughs> What?
2: Chris everything. Evans? What?
0: Goodbye. <laughs> It up like three times. You so didn't fuck it up okay. at all
2: last time. I think you for just jinxed it. Me. God you jinxed damn you. it. Yeah. God, God damn it! For real, at the end, is he making that noise? Oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> and that. <laughs> oh shit! He's crying.
0: <laughs> I'm not crying. I'm okay. he's Laughing, crying. Yeah. Okay. It'll probably yeah. happen. All right. All you know, right. fucking comes up. <sighs> <laughs>
2: you heard that, that see thing last week. i forgot warm-up noises okay so <clears throat>
0: <laughs> hello thanks for the no, now. now it's done fuck <laughs> i'm gonna wait i'm gonna do a chris ryan style intro hello and thank you for listening
2: to the nope no, nope, that's stupid i also almost said the nothing sounds better podcast yep. i'm so bad at this do you want me to do it i'll be like hello thank you for listening i am tyler hannon <laughs>
1: <laughs> since you are talking about reservoir dogs you just have to say fuck 80 times
2: <laughs>
1: fucking
0: thank you for fucking listening to the fucking let the right folks in podcast